Hello and welcome to Well Wisconsin Radio, a podcast discussing health and well-being topics with experts from all around the state of Wisconsin. My name is Morgan Minan. My guest today is Dr. Matthew Reitz. Matthew is the executive director of the Madison Audubon, which is a proud community of passionate individuals actively working to improve Wisconsin's environment. From youth and community education to habitat restoration, through the work of their staff, members, and volunteers, they're making a difference for Wisconsin's birds and beyond. So Matt, welcome to Well Wisconsin Radio. I'm so excited to talk to you today and grateful to the person who recommended you to be on the show so we can talk about birds. Thank you, Morgan. It's fabulous to be here. So the first thing I wanted to start out with was just talking about the Audubon. Obviously, we're here to talk about the Madison Audubon, so I wondered if you could just tell us more about it and the work that you do. Of course. Yeah, Madison Audubon uh, started as a sort of more traditional bird watching club in um, the 30s. And since then, we've evolved quite a lot to be a respected, impactful conservation organization. And um, we are made up of a community of people that advocate on on important environmental issues uh, that lead in habitat protection and conservation and uh, also environmental education. And uh, we are a chapter of the National Audubon, uh, but most folks are surprised to learn that we're actually separate organizations. So all of our outreach and fundraising and programming are entirely separate. And uh, we serve not just Madison, we're in 10 counties in Southern Wisconsin. And really because of the nature of our work in protecting birds, we are really operating throughout the state of Wisconsin and uh, and the Midwest and even beyond. Are there any missions or projects that the Audubon is focused on right now? Well, Morgan, we are never not busy with something. Um, our official mission is to protect and improve habitat for birds and other wildlife through land acquisition and management, education, and advocacy. And so we work really hard to have effective programs that align with these three branches of our mission. So, uh, for example, in our advocacy and conservation work, we're currently working on a number of really wonderful citizen science programs like monitoring bald eagle nests throughout southern Wisconsin and uh, American Kestrel Nest Boxes, which is one of the largest programs in the, co- in the country. Uh, we collect data on bird window strikes as well. Um, also advocating broadly on issues like conservation funding and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act as well. Um, And then in our land protection branch of our mission, we own two major wildlife sanctuaries. It's nearly 2,000 acres of land that have been wonderfully restored to beautiful native prairies and savannas and wetlands and much, much more. And uh, these provide really incredible, crucial habitats for birds and other wildlife and lots of opportunities, I should mention too, for recreation for everyone who, who can visit. Uh, that's those are Goose Pond Sanctuary in Columbia County and Favel Grove Sanctuary in Jefferson County, uh, north of Lake Mills. Uh, and then finally, in our education branch of our mission, we do uh, all sorts of work to create and deliver curricula and programs and lessons and resources for anyone interested in learning more about birds and wildlife and nature. And these uh, involve our regular Things like evenings with Audubon speaker series, adult education classes, field trips, um, 
and a rigorous youth education program. Yeah, you're right. You guys certainly are busy. Lots of fun things going on. And I love that call out for recreation because the weather's been really nice this week. So I myself am looking forward to getting out now and checking out some of those places that you mentioned. Matt, what are some things that you wish people knew or considered about birds? Oh, good question, Morgan. Um, There's a lot, of course. Birds are fascinating. But, you know, I think just generally speaking, I would tell your listeners that birds matter. They are really, really important. They give us so much, but there are so many things that threaten them. Um, I mean, to give you an example, since the 1970s, we have lost 2.9 billion breeding adult birds from the United States and Canada. And that's across every ecosystem and includes familiar birds too. So grassland birds like meadowlarks, uh, they've suffered a loss of more than half of their numbers, like more than 720 million birds. And that's due to a whole bunch of different factors like habitat loss and window strikes and introduced predators and more. And now there's climate change that's being thrown into the mix that uh, is predicted to uh, threaten two thirds of North America's bird species. So there's a, a, a lot of threats to birds, but birds, like, like I said, they matter. They provide essential, extremely valuable ecosystem services. They're doing insect and pest control all the time. They're pollinating. They do seed dispersal, they cycle nutrients, all of that stuff benefits everybody. And these services are worth trillion, tri- excuse me, trillions of dollars annually. And birds are providing them for free. And if we lost those services, we couldn't replace them with any kind of technology. Um, more directly, bird watching is a $107 billion industry in the United States. And that's through you know, tourism and jobs and equipment sales like binoculars and feeders. So that's a direct benefit to our economy. Uh, and that's especially true in a place like Wisconsin that enjoys such incredible natural spaces and bird diversity. Um, and, you know, we sometimes will hear from politicians and leaders that we can't afford to protect the environment because doing so damages our economy. But that's just simply not the case. So the cost of losing birds, uh, and which, which is happening now, is really a, a cost that's too high to bear. Yeah. And another reason why I'm really glad to be talking to you and getting this information out there. I feel like this is a perfect time to be kind of acknowledging our title, which I'm giving you all the credit for, Matt. Matt thought about our title, Birds Are Better Than TikTok. And I (laughs) want to dive into that because obviously that was something that caught my attention as you and I have been working together to build out this episode. And so I'd love if you could kind of explain that more and just tell us more about why you think birds are better than TikTok. (laughs) Well, birds are pretty fascinating and and catchy on their own, but I thought, you know, given the state of technology that I throw out a title that might catch some some, uh, social media users out there. And and for those who don't know what TikTok is, it's it's an incredibly popular social media app. People can record and and share short videos for others to enjoy. It's, uh, uh, you know, sometimes folks will stare at their screen for hours looking at these TikToks. Um, So... You know, ultimately, birds are free to enjoy, just like TikTok is. And you can enjoy both of those things anytime, anywhere you are in the world. Both of them provide hours of entertainment for whatever, however you define entertainment. But unlike TikTok, birds aren't limiting your social connections by staring at a screen. In fact, they bring people together. There's so many people who enjoy getting outside and enjoying birds together. Uh, I would say that unlike staring at your phone, uh, which can cause issues with, you know, like sleep and emotional well-being. Uh, birds 
actually bring excellent mental and physical health benefits. Happy to talk more about that. Um, and, uh, you know, birds aren't tapping into your email accounts and like, <laughs> which TikTok is probably doing. They got into a lot of trouble like that. They're not, birds don't drain your phone battery either. So you can go outside and watch birds. You can turn your phone off and preserve your battery. Just get outside and, and enjoy all those free ecosystem services I talked about. And, uh, and I know finally, okay, uh, TikTok is a really great tech app. It's incredible technology, but it has nothing on being able to fly and birds can fly. So, I mean, the only natural conclusion is that taken together, birds are much better than TikTok, right? <laughs> oh, you put together a lot of really compelling reasons. And <laughs> I'm just acknowledging that I myself am not a TikTok user. I do not have social media. So I cannot kind of be devil's advocate here and speak for TikTok. But I think you've, again, you've provided a lot of really good reasons. And I am inclined to to side with you and say... <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I think I think you've made a good argument here for getting outside and enjoying birds, especially, you know, making that connection to well-being. I also know that the Audubon is known for birds, but like you've mentioned already, you guys play a key role in conservation, which we know is so important to Wisconsin especially. Can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. Uh, okay. So, I mean, it's so clear that birds, one of the things I like to say a lot is birds are awesome. And I feel like that's sort of a universal truth. I'm a little bit biased, but anyone you meet at least has positive feelings about birds. I mean, everybody's got a bird story uh, and many folks are just really downright obsessed with birds. And that's for good reason. Um, and I feel because Madison Audubon is fortunate to work on the celebration and protection of Wisconsin's birds, we we're, we're sort of in the joy business and uh, we're all, but, but protecting birds is serious business too. So birds are a really wonderful way to do more broad scale conservation because they are so intricate, intricately tied into how pretty much everything functions. So we view birds as ambassadors for the entire natural world. And by protecting and celebrating birds, that means great things for our communities and environment. So we're a bit of a unique Audubon. So yeah, we, we do all the traditional things that Audubons do. We do field trips and programs and talks and such, but we have invested a lot in different approaches to effective broad scale conservation. So uh, let me just give you a, a, a couple of examples. The first is our education program. That's It's unique, it's welcoming, and I, we hope it's effective education programming for people of all ages. So. But in particular, our youth education programs really attempting to break the mold of uh, sort of traditional environmental education in a couple of important ways. So rather than doing single programs uh, where we visit a school or have a school visit and, and uh, um, have a group of kids and we talk about maybe how cool birds are, what a bird is, we visit kids at their schools and community centers where they are already doing most of their learning. And, you know, of course, we do this safely in person when possible, um, mostly outside. Um, and we do virtual when necessary. But this really allows us to spend a whole bunch of quality time with each kid. And uh, we also visit with the same kids weekly so we can build on the prior activities, uh, cultivate trust, generate curiosity, lots of good benefits. And uh, that curriculum is also comprehensive. It's not just about birds. It's it uh, it's about so much, so much more. It empowers kids to investigate, think scientifically, ask questions. And, um, and in the end too, our, most of our, 
programs reach historically excluded communities too, who don't generally have access to this kind of uh, programming. So we really want to have a broader impact for conservation through our education work on birds. Um, and I guess the second thing is that that's really unique about Madison Audubon is that we're also what's known as a land trust. And that is basically a nonprofit organization that's directly involved in protecting land for some value. And in our case, it's conservation value. So we have protected thousands of acres of critical habitat in southern Wisconsin and very proud of that. And of the 450 plus Audubon chapters that, uh, that there are nationwide, we are among the top in the amount of acreage we own and manage. And that's all for really high quality native habitats that, again, provide really rec great recreational opportunities, too. And um, we're also only one of a handful of Audubon chapters that's a nationally accredited land trust which means that we've earned a distinction by demonstrating really professional practices, ethical business practices, responsible governance, and a good, sign, good sound financial management. And all of this is uh, so that we can meet a very lofty goal of protecting those special natural places we own, the Goose Pond Sanctuary, Fable Grove Sanctuary, and protect them forever. That's amazing. And I feel like that's a perfect segue into, I wanted to get in now to kind of that mental health and well-being aspect of this episode. And, you know, talking about conservation, talking about these recreational areas, places you can go, the wonderful programs that you're doing with youth. I just wondered if you could help kind of dissect that more on how you feel like birds and the work of the Audubon can positively impact our mental and, and just general well-being. Oh, that's a great question. I, okay, first, it's clear that birds bring people joy. Um, I mean, just for me personally, I, I get completely recharged just by taking, when I'm walking the dogs, I take time to look around my neighborhood and watch what their incredible behaviors they're doing, all the beautiful colors they're displaying, and of course, listening to them call and, and sing. And so many people look to nature and birds for joy or fun or restoration or what have you. And not, really nothing illustrated this more than how much people turn to nature for relief uh, and recharge and distraction during the pandemic, um, during, you know, all the various worries and, and hard times, nature and birds provided so much needed uh, solace or uh, diversion. And there were times when you couldn't, at the, really the earlier height of pandemic, you couldn't buy uh, feeders and binoculars anymore. They were gone. Um, we also heard from people living in, uh, in senior care facilities too, where folks were even more cooped up than the rest of us, that birds were really important to seniors and their families too. So uh, we know that birds were really a, a source of joy for folks, but that's just kind of anecdotal stuff. There are, all, there are lots of research data to support the importance of nature and birds for mental health and well-being. So I'm going to uh, take kids, for example, to start here. Uh, many of your listeners probably had the same kind of childhood I, I did, which is I got kind of kicked out of the house during the summer mornings and, uh, and the weekends. And, and then I was off on my own and I got whistled home for, for, for lunch and dinner. And, and uh, the rest of the time I was out exploring and like flipping rocks and collecting bugs and probably driving my mom crazy because I was ruining my, my, my pants. Um, but I want to use the phrase kids these days. I can't believe I'm going to use this phrase, but uh, kids these days, 
are spending, um, the data show that the, the kids are spending as little as 30 minutes outside per day and up to seven hours in front of a screen per day. And that's terrible. Um, yeah. That is, uh, uh, it's, it's, that's something we're trying to reverse. And the, the research studies by organizations like CDC and American Academy of Pediatrics and others show that kids engaged in an outdoor education, they get outside, they're getting so many amazing benefits, physical, emotional, uh, cognitive, academic. They're, uh, for example, children who engage in nature learning and exploration. They enjoy better academic performance, improved concentration, reduced discipline problems, better creativity and problem solving, better cooperation. They have more confidence. They have reduced stress levels. Um, and they also, uh, I think one study showed that they had Im better immune and cardiovascular health. So that's just one of the reasons why our education programs focuses so heavily on getting kids outside to explore because it's getting so many more benefits. Um, and of course, that that's just the kids. There's a, there's a lot of kids at heart out there too. So there's data research evidence that supports the conclusion that being outside in nature benefits our mood, our physiological well-being, cognitive function, functioning. Uh, and there are now many medical professionals who are prescribing use of green space to their patients, which is fabulous. It's a, uh, there are a number of programs in a bunch of different states where they're doing prescription, park prescription style programs. Um, so telling people to get outside in the green space. So, and that's nature oriented, but there's also data for birds too, uh, directly that show that bird watching can have a positive effect on mental health and happiness. So there's the, there is a great study out of uh, the UK discovered that people who are able to watch birds from their homes have a lower risk of depression, stress, uh, and anxiety uh, compared to people who live in less nature, less nature dense areas with fewer birds. So fascinating stuff. Uh, yeah, it's all really compelling. Yeah. And even, there's even a, a really great example of folks who, a small study where they, they asked people and they found that birdsong was the type of natural sound that they most often associated with stress recovery. So remind, the birdsong reminded them of relaxing natural landscapes. So it was a pleasant uh, thing to listen to just by itself, but it also had um, these sort of beyond benefits. Well, I can say just personally for myself, you know, again, as the weather has turned and you and I have been talking about this a little bit, I very much enjoy sitting outside and listening to the birds and filling my bird feeders. And I know I was asking you a couple personal questions about, Matt, what do I do? You know, they keep trying to build their nest in my patio heater and I don't want them to. <laughs> and, and so I totally agree. I mean, and again, just a, a great time of year for us to be giving folks this information and talking about this because I think we're all so excited to, you know, finally have a little bit of nicer weather and to be getting outside again. And it is the perfect connection to, you know, mental health and well-being, especially with those studies that you just laid out. I wanted to dive a little bit more into, um, you know, you mentioned like how nice it is to be looking around and seeing the different types of birds around mm -hmm. you. And I wondered how birds in our backyard might give us insight to the state of the ecosystem around us. Oh, well, that, that's okay. So the folks are probably aware of the old phrase, um, the uh, canary, like a canary in a coal mine, which uh, uh, this, that's, of course, stemmed from, I think it was British coal miners. They would lower caged canaries into mine shafts and to uh, that the birds would basically tell them 
that whether or not there were harmful or deadly conditions in the, in the shaft. So the, ir- the irony of that phrase is that birds are both sort of that literal and figurative canary in a coal mine. So they can both indicate current problems, but they can foretell kind of major threats to our environment and even our own existence. So um, a good example of this that comes to mind is that um, the rise of DDT in the middle of the last part of the century. So this is a, everybody remembers DDT as a chemical that was used widely to control insect populations. And it was, uh, at the time, DDT was really the most powerful pesticide the world had ever seen. It was, it was capable of killing hundreds of different kinds of insects at a time and of different, so uh, hundreds of insects and different kinds of insects too. It was very effective was used to control malaria and typhus to, to uh, great effect. It was developed um, in the 30s, I think, and th- thought to have no human-related side effects. Its inventor was awarded the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. Um, in the 1940s and 50s, my mom tells me that there was, recalls that there used to be a DDT truck that come, would come through her neighborhood. And uh, it would... the, the you know, they had various names for it, like, uh, I think it's like Smokey Joe, the fogger truck. The, the local kids, including my mom, would run behind the truck playing in the chemical mist. And uh, the, so, what, but it wasn't long until, no, again, they didn't think there was going to have any effect on anything. But it wasn't long until folks started reporting common birds, backyard birds, like robins, American robins, other common backyard birds lying in the grass that had died after exposure to DDT, direct exposure. And it wasn't much longer than that when populations of bald eagle and uh, other raptor species like falcons, they completely plummeted because of, and they found out it was because DDT had built up in their tissues and limited their ability to produce eggs. So our bald eagle populations almost went extinct because they couldn't produce anything. So Rachel Carson, fast forward to Rachel Carson writing the famous Silent Spring, uh, her book, which brought a total new public awareness through birds that nature was vulnerable to that sort of unchecked human intervention. So, um, and through lots of advocacy and, and, you know, lots of different people being involved, DDT was eventually banned. And, and of course, there's now even still new medical studies that document some long-term potential effects of DDT on human health too. And birds were the, were the indicator for that. They were what was telling us there was something wrong. So there are lots of other types of environmental issues. There's, you know, oil spills, chemicals, climate change, et cetera, uh, habitat loss, avian flu, what, what have you. Um, ultimately, sort of the fate of birds is really tied to our own. And, uh, I, you know, I guess I would wrap that this answer up by saying that there's a famed ecologist. His name is Thomas Lovejoy, Dr. Thomas Lovejoy. I love this quote. If you take care of birds, you take care of most of the environmental problems in the world. I love that quote. And really, if we're taking care of birds, we're taking care of all of us. So their fate is really tied to our fate. So how can people be protecting bird habitats at home? What are things that they can be looking for? Oh, well, that's another fabulous question. There's so much power in what individuals can do for birds overall by, by at home. There's a bunch of different things you can do. Well, I'll give you just a few. Um, I mean, just think about how much of the landscape is made up of our private lands, private property, homes, lawns, gardens. There's, it's, it's a, it's a lot. 
Uh, so there's a couple of, there's a few really easy things to, to do that will help birds. Um, uh, for one, you can make your, the windows on your house safer. So up uh, my own home, the director of the Audubon Society, I'm sad to admit, had a, had a sliding glass door that kept having birds collide with it at least one to two per year. Well, it was over one year because I, I fixed the problem quickly. But up to a billion birds die per year just in the U.S. from oh, collisions wow. with, with windows. So, they, I mean, the windows can confuse birds a number of different ways. They reflect habitat. They, you know, birds think they can pass through because they just don't see it. Um, but there's a lot that you can do to make your windows safe by making them more visible to birds. So, uh, you know, there's a number of different things you can do. You can, they can involve screening. You can put patterns on the glass. There are lots of products for that, but you can also do some DIY products too. Um, I put up a grid of dots, these little white dots on my sliding glass door. I, I never see them. Um, and I also have not seen a single dead bird out there either since I put those up. So that's, I was really glad for that. And I should point out that the American Bird Conservancy, it's a great uh, nonprofit organization that operates nationally and beyond, has great resources for, for that sort of window thing. Okay. Um, and we can be linking that up in show notes too. I'm curious, where would somebody be buying product like that? Is that something that you get from like a home improvement store or where would you be looking for these materials? You can, you can go to the websites of different uh, companies that produce them. Um, there are a number of different t types, but there are also ones that you can build on your own. In fact, we, we had a recent class at Madison Audubon where we helped people build their own bird friendly. Um, I don't even remember the exact design, but there's a way to, uh, there's these strips that you can, uh, and strings you can stick outside your home that dangle down and they alert the, the bird to an issue out there. So, okay. um, yeah. And the other really, really uh, great thing you can do at home is to provide some kind of native habitat at home. So you can, you can certainly, you should add feeders and nest boxes and bird baths and all that kind of stuff. The birds love that stuff and make sure you clean your feeders regularly. But planting native species provides food and habitat and shelter that they don't, don't normally get from a traditional home landscape that's, you know, sort of the, the non-native showy plants that you might get at, at a big box store or, or, or lawn. Um, and so when you plant natives, you're benefiting wildlife and you'll get all sorts of great birds who are coming in to feed or rest, you might get butterflies too, and all sorts of native species, but you also get some of the prettiest and hardiest species you can buy because they're adapted to Wisconsin's climate. So there, you don't have to, you can hardly have to water these things. You hardly have to maintain them. So they, they also save you water, money, and time because they're adapted to be low maintenance. So. And this doesn't have to be your entire yard. You can you can spread these through um, as wherever you wherever you got a good spot. There's lots of resources online for that to find good native species that are that benefit different kinds of birds. The National Audubon has a great resource for finding native species for your area. Great recommendations. So summer is just around the corner. 
kids will be out of school uh, very soon. Parents will be kind of searching for activities for their kiddos to do. You've already kind of mentioned some of the programs and reference some classes that you have. So I just wondered if you could kind of help summarize, like, does the Audubon have any programs that you'd like to highlight for people to be looking at in the coming months? We're always, again, Morgan, we're always up to something good. <laughs> I hope so. Anyway, we have field trips all year long. We'd be so glad for for folks to join in. Those are those are listed on our website as our other events that are family friendly. We have a, a birding and biking event in a couple of weeks here in Madison. Um, so there's there are, there are always things going on that our event page will, will give you an idea of that. And the other thing I want to mention, too, is that I know that, you, that a lot of folks maybe don't live in the area or, or aren't able to join in person, but there are lots of really great activities and nature lessons for kids. And those are all available for free on our website. So, um, and also on our YouTube page and our Facebook pages, they're designed to be easy and fun and informative and really designed to get families and kids exploring outside. So definitely check those out. Love it. If you use them and, and enjoy them. Yeah, I love that. And where can listeners find more information about the Audubon and the programs available? Could you maybe share the website or places that you'd like to direct them to learn more? Oh, geez, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, our website is madisonaudubon.org. It's chock full of info. Hopefully it's user friendly and navigating. I'll, I'll certainly share, Morgan, more links, direct links for, for some pages too. Uh, yeah, I, you know. Great. Certainly, if you want to become a member of Madison Audubon, wherever you may live, whether it's in our service area or somewhere else in Wisconsin or, or anywhere else, we, you, we definitely invite you to join. You will receive our quarterly newsletter, which also provides more information on the things that we do and the events that we, we have. We also, well, you can sign up for our email list without, without even joining, too. You can do that on our website as well. So we'd just yeah, love to have everybody participate as, at, in whatever way they feel comfortable, and everybody's welcome. That's great. And like Matt mentioned, we'll get some links out there for you guys in the show notes so you can be kind of exploring their website and learning more. Matt, as we wrap up, I just wondered if there was anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners as part of today's episode. Well, first of all, don't forget this mantra. Birds are awesome. Okay. Birds are awesome. The universal truth. But I also want to share with something a little bit more serious, which has been going around and in the news and that is um, the high, pa- highly pathogenic avian influenza, the HPAI bird flu that's been uh, in the news of late. That has been detected in, um, it's, a, it's typically a, affects domestic farms with poultry, but it has been detected in wild species, raptors and waterfowls um, in Wisconsin too. So there, uh, I will share a, um, a link to our website that provides much more information on this and where you can get the latest on where the detections are found and what species they're affecting. So a lot of folks are asking us about, well, what about my bird feeders? Okay, great question. And first, and I also should mention, this is different than there was, there was a mystery illness that was, that came around last year that was, a, that was primarily infecting songbirds. And uh, we made recommendations to folks to take down their feeders. This is different. We haven't seen that mystery illness this year. This is a different disease. Um, and uh, we have carefully examined all the available data on uh, avian flu, the current outbreak, and we're not recommending removal of song feeders, song feeders, song bird feeders and baths, except under certain conditions. And that is when 
you have your feeders are visited by birds like waterfowl or if you get a lot of raptors uh that are that are would be highly susceptible to the avian flu so some folks set up a feeder and then there's a there's ducks that come and visit their feeder if that's the case then you should shut down your feeder if you're not getting that kind of if you're just getting songbirds then you then you're okay the other thing is if you keep domestic poultry or you live in close proximity to a poultry farm it's probably a good idea to take your feeders down if you leave your feeders up we always recommend that anyone with bird feeders continues to follow responsible protocol you got to clean your feeders and baths probably once per week um, we always recommend a, a 10% bleach solution, one part bleach mixed with nine parts water, rinse it thoroughly, allow it to dry completely before you refill it. So keep that helps keep, keeps the bird safe from this and anything else that could potentially affect songbird, songbirds at your feeder. So I'll, again, I'll send uh, information, uh, to your listeners about the, the, where the data that we use to, to form these recommendations and, um, and how to keep birds safe. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I've read about that as well. So I'm sure it's on the minds of others. So really important information that you shared, not only about that, but just all throughout this episode. Matt, I want to thank you again for joining me today. This has been such a fun conversation and I've learned a lot and I hope it's been helpful for our listeners. Well, I hope so too. And I had a great time. Thank you again, Morgan, for the invitation. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. For those of you listening as part of the Well Wisconsin program, the code for this episode is, you guessed it, it's birds. If you're looking for a transcript of our conversation today, if you'd like to take the survey and let me know if you have recommendations for guests for Well Wisconsin Radio, or if you want to check out the previous episodes we've done, you can visit webmdhealthservices.com slash wellwisconsinradio. You can also subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice so you never miss an episode. Until next time, take care.